Children ages 3 to 6 can be dismissed to toddler church. And the rest of you, if you would like to, turn to Daniel chapter 2. And uh, we are going to have many verses today. And so I'm going to be putting them on the screen because we're going to be looking at Daniel 2. Thank you. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and a little bit as well from Daniel chapter 8. And so we have a lot of passages to look at today, and um, there's just a lot. And so as I've considered going into the book of Daniel, um, we're going to split this into two weeks. Now, where are we? We are studying the book of Revelation, even though you're going to the book of Daniel. And uh, we have looked at, in the book of Revelation, the, the outline that I believe that Christ gave to John, and that is the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And we are in the segment of the message of the future, which begins in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. But again, as I've said in the past, and as a little review here, the reason that we're, we're going backwards is that we've got to set a, a proper foundation to understand the Revelation. Um, I believe that, that Revelation, that prophecy is, as we discussed two weeks ago, is a, clearly of divine nature, but it's also progressive. And that is that God has increasingly given us more and more information uh, as, as we've gone on through the ages and as the, the scripture, the revelation of God has been given to us. And so we are going through the scriptures quickly, trying to build a proper foundation of prophecy so that when we get to the book of Revelation, we fully understand what its intent is. We saw as well the systematic nature of prophecy, and that is that God is not a God of chaos, He's a God of order. And so there's a, there's a purpose for this. It's not just a random vision that God gave to John, but that it's going to be consistent with everything else that he has also declared. And so um, we looked at the nature of prophecy last week. We looked at the covenants and the feasts. Today we want to look at, um, and then Lord willing as well next week, we want to look at the conveyance of prophecy via Daniel. And then uh, two weeks from now, we will consider that with the other prophets, I think um, somewhere in there, Resurrection Day is going to occur, so we'll probably take a, a one-week break from this, and, and we'll talk about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's always a, a great time to make sure that we're focusing on Christ. And so we'll take Resurrection Day to fully have a resurrection feast um, before the Lord. And then we'll be looking at um, the prophecy via Jesus, and then via Paul as well. And then we'll jump back into, Lord willing, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. Okay? And so, um, hang on with me. So now, as we go through this, this book of Daniel, I have broken up the my look at this into two segments. There is a lot of prophecy in the book of Daniel regarding the kingdoms that are to come, the kingdoms that are in the last days. Lawrence read Daniel 2, or the major bulk of Daniel chapter 2 today, regarding Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was the king of kings at that time. He was a great man. He was what we're going to see in a moment is um, according to these visions, the first great world empire. And he, he, uh, he governed a wide swath of the, of the earth at that time. Well, he had a dream, and uh, he called in his wise men to, to give the interpretation of the dream. But he didn't want just the interpretation of the dream. He wanted them as well to give him the dream. They said they couldn't do it. He said, listen, you're, just, you're, you're holding out on me. You're a bunch of charlatans. It's all fake. And this is how you're going to prove to me that you really know what you're talking about. You're going to tell me what my dream is. And so they said, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, this has never happened. You know, 
you give us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. That's always kind of nice, because even if you don't know, you can always what? You can fudge it. That's what teaching of prophecy is all about as well, you know? Because prophecies never happen, so if you don't know, you can always what? Fudge it, and by the time it happens, you've died, and so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, so I want to be careful that I'm not one of those, those wise guys out there, wise men, who are coming up with their own interpretations as we go through it. But he said, this hasn't happened. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, it just did. So if you don't come back, then you're all dead men, right? And so that's exactly what started to happen. He sent out his army. They started killing off all the wise men and all the magicians and all the, the sorcerers that are in Babylon. Well, word came to Daniel, um, Azariah, Mishael, and see, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, who were better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, and Daniel, though we know him from his Jewish name, he was he was known in Babylon as Belteshazzar. That's right, Belteshazzar. And so, Belteshazzar. And so, so word comes to these guys. They're wise men as well. They were um, captured by by uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says to Arioch, he says, "Listen, give me 24 hours." Can you just give me 24 hours? I didn't know anything about this. But now that I know, I will seek my God. And if my God doesn't answer you within 24 hours, then you do with us as you want to. So Arioch says, okay, fine, I'll be back tomorrow this time. And he didn't really say it that way, but that's basically you kind of, you know, if you picture that. So before Arioch gets to come back, Daniel runs to him. Because that night, God gives to Daniel not only the interpretation of the dream, but he allows him to see the exact dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Isn't that awesome? And so, that's where we pick it up in the book of Daniel, that Daniel goes to, to Nebuchadnezzar, he tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream, and then he tells him the interpretation of it. Okay? Put that in your memory bank. Okay? You can check me out on this. Okay, that's why I've, I've sent you there. Again, we're not going to be reading all these chapters because we don't really have the time to do all that, but I want you to check me out to make sure that what I'm telling you is, is right. Okay? Because if I'm not, then I'm a liar, I'm a liar too. Okay? So, Daniel chapter 7 we're going to be looking at as well. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel now is, is, is seeking God's face. And God gives to Daniel a night vision. And in this night vision, he gives him more information about these kingdoms that he's going to talk to him about in, in chapter 2, which we're going to see, okay? And in his night vision, he sees a vision of four different beasts, okay, which we'll talk about as we go. Each beast representing a different empire. And so in this then, as well, God gives him more information about what Nebuchadnezzar's vision dream was about in chapter 2. And then in chapter 8, which we're going to see for just a little bit here this morning, but we're going to be looking at a little bit more next week, there is another vision that Daniel has, and this is regarding specifically two of these empires that we're going to talk about this morning, specifically speaking, Medo-Persia and Greece. And talking even more than about Greece and about how there was a particular ruler of Greece, and that is Antiochus Epiphanes III, who is a type of Antichrist who will come in the last days. Okay? Now, I know there's a lot of information, and you are going to get a lot of information in these next two weeks, okay? probably in the next couple weeks. And so I don't expect you, in a matter of five weeks, to become an expert in prophecy. Clearly, as I've told you before, I'm not the expert in prophecy. My head is swimming as I'm going through things, and there are things that I pulled back and sharing because I feel like there are conjectures, and as I studied more, I'm not proper, I'm not fully convinced of my conjectures, and so I'm kind of pulling certain things back, and you, you know what I mean? And, you know, 
again, the, the biggest thing about prophecy is that after it happens, we'll know what the fulfillment was, right? But before now, everything we do is just purely a conjecture. It's an, it's an educated, if you would, guess. Now, hopefully, it's a sanctified, educate, educated guess. But you'll be amazed that as I've been doing the study and I've been, I've been searching the Internet and uh, just to, to see the various views that there are about, about there, there is almost more that I found against Christianity out there regarding these passages than there is for. It's amazing how the world, those who are anti-God, recognize that these prophecies are out there. In, in Daniel, what we're going to see is really is so key to a lot of this prophecy because God gave to Daniel specific names, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, of countries that weren't even a blip on the map. They weren't even there on the radar screen to be a world empire. And before they became the empire, God gave them specific details about it. And so we'll see this, about, especially with, specifically with the country Greece. And so that people want to say that Daniel was written after Greece was a world empire. But you know what happened? When, when they found the, um, the, um, the, the Q-Tex, the um, Qumran, um, the Qumran caves, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, it confirmed that these weren't written at that time, but rather that they were manuscripts that were written hundreds of years before that time. And so, before Greece ever became the nation. That's exactly right. Now they're starting to say the Dead Sea Scrolls are written after. Why? Because they have got to try to, to destroy the proof that's out there. I mean, the proof by itself is so overwhelming about the Word of God and, and the testimony of what we're going to see today. So as you see this, understand that, the, that, the, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, clearly, he is the king. He is the king of kings. He is the world ruler, right? at the time that this dream happens, okay? And then when Daniel has his, it's during the time of Medo-Persia, or I mean, actually it's during the time of Belshazzar, who is still the king of, um, of Babylon, and so he's having his vision even before these other nations become kings, okay? There's a seat here. Yeah, okay. So, in Daniel 2, in, in, in Daniel 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar's vision, okay, his, his dream, and we see the interpretation. And so, what we see first, and, and as, as I want you to, you can look at yours to, to confirm all this, okay, your Bible hopefully you have it in your hand, and, uh, and what Lawrence read earlier, okay, that we see the first thing that the Nebuchadnezzar sees is that he saw this image, and that he saw this image that was comprised of a gold head, a silver chest with two arms, a bronze stomach and thighs, and then legs that were made out of iron, and then feet that were made out of iron and clay that had ten toes, that were clearly the ten toes were seen. We're not told about the ten fingers. This is important, okay? We are told about the ten toes, okay? And you say, what, what's the big deal about that? Because if it was important symbolically, we would have been told about ten fingers, but we're not told about ten fingers. So, in that, each one of these, we're told that each one of these metals, each one of these levels represents a particular nation. And so we're told by Daniel 
in this. He says, this image's head was of fine gold, verse 32. And this is when he is, verse 32, the first of these verses that you're going to see from Daniel 2 is him telling Nebuchadnezzar what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And then the second segment is going to be Daniel's interpretation of what he saw. And so he said, the image's head was of fine gold. And then he tells Nebuchadnezzar later, when he's interpreting, he says, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all. You are this head of gold. And so, he starts off this, this thing about that you, you, you Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you are the awesome king. You are the one who's over all things. And that gold up there, the head of all things, that represents you. Now in Daniel 7, again, Daniel had that vision in the night, okay, of the, the beasts. And in that, he saw four beasts coming forth. And there was the first beast, and we see the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, why, why, why a lion with wings on it? First of all, the lion is seen to be what? What, what is a lion? He's a warrior, but he's the king of all animals. He, he is the prince of all the animals. And so, the lion was majestic. Think about it. Even in in um, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, what does he represent Christ as? Aslan, which was a lion. Okay, and so the lion is the, is the king of the jungle. He's the king of, of of creation, if you would. And so, so they would understand that back then. During those days, there were lions that were roaming in, in that in that area, and so he was the king. And then the eagle's wings. An eagle has always been the royal, the strength, but a royal. You're right. Is a royal bird. And so even in, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says that, um, that in your weakness, that you should continue to do what? Mount up with wings as, as eagles. You should run and not be weary. You should walk and not faint. That we should be able to look to the Lord. Okay? That, that we have that strength. We have that majesty that we have. So, so Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom, was pictured as a lion with eagle's wings. But what's really interesting here is that we're told that his wings were going to be what? They're going to be plucked. They're going to be plucked off and he's going to be given what? He's going to be made to stand on two feet but what's going to be given to him? He's going to be given a man of, a heart of a man. Now, there is, I think, a dual a dual implication happening here. First of all, his wings were going to be plucked. Which means what? Some of the strength is going to be taken from him. That's exactly right. Some of, in the reality is, is he's going to lose his what? Kingdom. He's going to lose his kingdom. But, in the midst of losing his kingdom, what's he going to get? He's going to get the heart of a man. Do you, do you sense the implication? What is God most interested in your heart that's exactly right if you know the story and go back if you if not now but you can later and read the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar and, and the transformation that God does in his heart here in chapter 2 chapter 3 and chapter 4 how Nebuchadnezzar comes to realize that the Lord God is the true God 
He is the God of gods. He is the King of kings. He is the God of the heavens and the earth. And that the God of Daniel, the God of Az, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and, and Azariah, that he is the one and only true God. And so God works throughout Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe that Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. I think he becomes a true believer. And I think that this is a, as well a picture um, that, of that. And that God plucks the wings, but he gives them a human heart. A heart that what? That feels. What is the difference between a human and an animal? No, not the soul. The spirit. This is important. Distinction. Animals have souls. Okay? When God created us, he made plants, yes? Okay, this is a real plant. It is a real plant. For the sake of our thing, it's not fake, it really is real. Okay? So, does that plant eat? Yes, it does. Does it drink? Does it breathe? It does, doesn't it? So it does, it's living. Okay, and it really is living. And so it's living, it eats, it drinks, it breathes. Does it communicate? No. Some people think it does. But, you know, um, and they have good conversations. Probably the best conversations of their lives are with plants. But anyways, um, but plants, honestly, don't communicate. Now, there are things that God placed within plants that they can, in a sense, communicate to us because we understand what's happening in the plant. But plants really don't communicate with one another. But now, a squirrel, a cat, a dog, whatever, they have a body. They eat, they drink, they breathe. Yes? Do they communicate with one another? They do. They do, in fact. In fact, I mean, I love when I'm out in the, in the woods kind of, you know, trying to get the squirrels to, to chatter back and trying to talk to the birds and, and stuff like that. I always knew I should be Dr. Doolittle growing up. Anyways, but, and so, you know, to be able to, to go out there and you can, not in a sense, converse because I don't understand them, but they'll chatter back at you, okay? Because they hear something, they want to chatter back. Now, I have no clue what they're saying and they probably have no clue what I'm saying. But, but they know what each other's talking about. And one of the worst things to hear if you're a hunter is to hear a squirrel starting to go, you know, they start chattering away right above you because they've what? They've seen you, and what are they doing? They're warning everybody else. Well, not everybody else, but all the other squirrels and deer and everything else that are out there that, hey, <laughs> there's a guy hiding out here, you know, beware of this area. And so you want to have birds coming through and just kind of talking to each other, and you want to have squirrels talking to each other because then the, the deer feel like it's a safe spot. Anyways, but, but they're communicating with one another. So animals communicate. But have you ever seen a bunch of dogs get together and have a prayer meeting? <laughs> or a bunch of cats have a worship service? They don't do that. But you know what? Man on the other side, we have a body, we eat, we drink, we breathe. We have a soul. We communicate with one another. But we are made, the only ones made in the, the, the image and likeness of God. And it is only to us to whom God breathed the ruach of life, the spirit of life into us. And it's called the breath of life, but I think the word, I know the word ruach, the word ruach can be translated spirit. And so I believe that when we read that, it should be better interpreted that God breathed into us the spirit of life. Because we were made in his image and God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And even those who are not true believers still try to fill the void of their spirit with something. Even atheists are, are very um, ardent in their atheism, the fact that there is no God, because they've got to fill that void. Isn't it amazing? And so I think that what happens here, what he's talking about, 
is that he's given them he's a new heart. Isn't this awesome stuff? And so, who's, who is this? Clearly, this is an easy one, right? This is Babylon. We're told that, that the, the, the head of gold is Babylon, that because it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar. So this first kingdom that we know of is the, the nation of Babylon. Now, secondly, we go in and we read in Daniel chapter 2 that its chest and its arms are of silver. And then we're told by, by Daniel that after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. That's a politically correct thing to say when you're talking to the current king, right? <laughs> I mean, at least if he's, going to be, if he's going to be supplanted, if he's going to be replaced, that the, the other kingdom is what? It's, it's inferior to yours. Okay. And then in Daniel 7, we read again about this, this kingdom um, as, a, as a beast. And we're told that a, suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Okay? We'll come back to the, the, the bear in a moment. And then we're told in Daniel 8 about a, another vision. Daniel says, I saw in the vision, I was in Shushan. Now that's important, and I put it there for a reason. I'll come back to that. I was in Shushan, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw in a ram which had two, horn, two horns, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could withstand him. And then down to verse 20 with the interpretation of that vision. The ram which you saw, having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. So, clearly the identity of this second um, kingdom is who? Media Persia. Now, let's talk about it. How does it all fit? Well, clearly, if you see up in that first, um, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, we're told that after you shall rise another kingdom. Well, which kingdom came right after Babylon? It was Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was the kingdom that squashed Babylon. And it's interesting how it happened, and it's recorded there in the book of Daniel as well, that Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar was the, the Babylonian name for Daniel, but Belshazzar was the king at the time. And Belshazzar was having a big orgy. He was having a big uh, feast of wine where he had all of his rulers there. And while they ate and they drank and they had their... Their orgy, the uh, hand came out of nowhere, and it wrote on the wall, many, many, teku'ufarsin. And they couldn't understand what, what it meant. And so they, were, they brought in all their wise men again, and all their, their astrologers, and all their magicians, and, and they asked for the interpretations, and nobody could give an interpretation of what the handwriting on the wall meant. Now we're told that when the hand appeared and wrote on the wall that Belshazzar, loins were loosened. Right, we don't want to go there necessarily, but that means that Belshazzar was so scared that he wet his pants. Okay? is a nice way of saying it. So you think about it, if you're sitting here and all of a sudden a hand is there in the middle of nowhere and it starts writing on a wall. What would you think? Now you need to understand as well what was going on during this orgy. Belshazzar thought so highly of himself, he didn't have, his grandfather was Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have the faith of his grandfather, and so he chose to take the gold goblets of Yahweh, of the God of Israel, the God of the heavens and the earth, and he chose for them to use these goblets for their, their feast. 
And so they were there that day using Yahweh's, God's goblets to indulge in ungodliness. And Yahweh's hand appears and writes many, many tekel farsim. And so Daniel is still around. This is many years later. He's still around, but he's forgotten. Kind of like Joseph. You know, when there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, that Joseph was the, the second in command in Egypt, but then after, you know, the 14 years, everybody thought, who's Joseph, right? Well, same thing happened with Daniel. Daniel was a, a man of power and a man of influence during the days of Nebuchadnezzar, but that influence kind of waned later on when people didn't want to know the Lord. And so there was somebody sitting there that said, oh, hey, I remember this guy, Daniel, who was able to know dreams and interpret dreams. Maybe he might be able to interpret this. And so they sent for Daniel. And Daniel came and gave them the interpretation of many, many, and it says, many, many, means measured, measured. It's said twice because it is, it's a done deal. You have been measured, you have been measured for sure. Tekel means you have been found wanting. You've been measured, and, and you're, you're short on change. You know, the balance isn't right. Ufarsin is, the, is Babylonian, is for Persia. You've been measured, you've been found wanting, and now Persia is knocking on your door to take away your kingdom. And that very night, at that very moment, Medo-Persia was damming up the river that flowed through Babylon. And they entered into Babylon without an arrow being cast. They marched in underneath the, the walls along the, the riverbed. And they took over, the, uh, took over Babylon. It's kind of an amazing thing. And I want you to think about this. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But think of some of these analogies as we go through about how many of these kingdoms fell because they began to focus on themselves and began to indulge in their, um, uh, their ungodliness, yeah, that's, that's probably just a good word there, Matthew, just their ungodliness, they, they began to, to with the, the orgies, and, and homosexuality, and drunkenness, and drugs, and, and it just, it, it, it led, it led to all these things, in, in every nation, it, it's the downfall, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, if you've never read it, we'll get to Rome in a moment, you ought to read it, it's kind of an amazing thing, it, You'll see the United States all through it. And so, Medo-Persia is coming in. Now, one thing you need to know about Medo-Persia is that they were two nations joined together. And so, hence the two arms. You had Media and you had Persia, which were bound together. They had a partnership, if you would. But as the partnership went on, Persia became stronger than Media. And hence, you have the bear that was raised up on one side because Persia became the stronger one. And the three ribs stands for the three major provinces that they had within them, okay? And so we, need, we know then the second kingdom here is the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Now, what's important about Shushan? That he was in Shushan during this vision. Anybody know? Now, in the beginning of it, we're told this is in the day of Belshazzar, okay? Belshazzar is the king of, of Babylon. Shushan was the capital of Medo-Persia. And so in Daniel's vision, while Babylon is ruling, Daniel is taken and placed in the capital of Medo-Persia to be, to be given the vision that he now receives. Okay? 
So we have the, the second one. The third one, this may be a little hard to see here, um, with bronze, in Daniel chapter 2, that is a little hard, isn't it? Yeah. We'll have to remember never to put black on, on rust again. Okay? So, it says that in Daniel chapter 2, it says the belly and the thigh were of bronze. You can turn it off and try it. Yeah, there we go. The belly and thighs were of bronze. And then in the interpretation, it says the third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Okay? So, we're not given a whole lot of information here in chapter 2. Other than that the third kingdom is going to follow after the second kingdom. Okay? That's enough information for us to go on. But we're given more information in chapter 7. Because in this we're told that this third beast was going to... After I looked and I saw another beast like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had on its head four heads and the dominion was given to it. Okay? So we've got a four-headed leopard with four wings. Now Daniel 8 we're given even more information. And it says, when we had this, remember we had the ram, right? With the two horns. And it says, suddenly a male goat came from the west. And which way was the, the, uh, the, the goat, the, I'm sorry, the ram pushing? The ram was pushing westward and northward and southward, right? Not necessarily eastward, but toward the west, okay? Well, coming from the west then, okay, somebody rises up, right? And suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. The male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken off. And in the place of four notable ones came up toward the four winds of the heaven. One of, out, of them, out, of, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great. And you notice I got the dot, 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 because we're going to talk about that horn more next week. Okay? The male goat is the kingdom of Greece. Now this is, the, this is the part that just kills people who don't believe the Bible. Okay? Because remember when Daniel's having this vision. It's while Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. So Babylon is in power. It's one thing for him to say Medo-Persia is going to wipe you out. Because Medo-Persia has already been setting themselves up. You know, they've been, they've been building up. They're, they're preparing for this. But Greece, at this time, Greece was nothing. They were a bunch of small villages, a bunch of small little towns. They were nothing to speak of, nothing at all. In fact, Babylon, would, when they would be taken over by Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia would be overcoming Greece. It wouldn't be to the days of, of Alexander's father, Philip, who, who united all those tribes and all those cities together into a, a major empire, which was Greece. And so he brought them together, and then his son Alexander, you know him as Alexander the Great, would then travel, as this guy did, as we're told about, throughout the world. That, he would, that Alexander moved on his campaign faster than any other, any other had. And so he is symbolized as a leopard. Why a leopard? It's the fastest animal. As the lion was the king of the, the beast, so you have the leopard, which is the fastest, and not only is he fastest, but he has what? He's got four wings. What does the wing help you do? Travel even faster. Okay? And so, now, there's a symbology here, though, with the four, the four wings and the four heads. And that is that when Alexander died, his kingdom, because he didn't live a long life. Alexander died at a young age. When he died... His kingdom was divided, and this is historically accurate. You can look at this. 
his kingdom was divided between the four generals. Okay? And as we're going to see again next week, we're going to look more at this next week, of those four generals, two became powerful. They began to really take over. And that was Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And from the, from the Seleucids arose a notable leader whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes III. And Antiochus Epiphanes III would then come and wreak havoc upon the Holy Land, upon Israel. Okay? And there was a king of the south and a king of the north, and we'll talk about all that next week. Okay? So we'll get into the king of the south and the king of the north next week, Lord willing, along with the 70 weeks of Daniel as well. Okay? But just to note that next week, hopefully, you'll have this in your mind a little bit and bring it into context because we don't want to talk about all these kingdoms next week. We're going to talk about them this week. So I'm kind of trusting you to kind of remember some of this next week as we go in and we continue on the thought process here. Okay? And so who is this one? Well, clearly, it's Greece. We're told that. And we're told that we had the four wings of a bird and the four heads. Okay? And we're told in Daniel 8 that this male goat came from the west. And he just traveled so fast, like, like Alexander did. It's a phenomenal thing. Again, good. Verse 21 for what? The male goat is the kingdom of Greece? It probably is. If, if you're looking at it, it's verse 21, it probably is. Okay? So, the, the, again, look at it from the perspective of that this is written hundreds of years before the fulfillment. It's amazing stuff. Okay, Chris. That's exactly right. Because the one, that notable horn that was there first was Alexander. And then the four became the generals. And then from the one arose another notable horn. And we'll talk about that next week. And that's Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay? And this is amazing stuff. I mean, this isn't just generic stuff. You've got to go back. Now, the thing I want to talk about this as well is what kingdom then came right after Medo-Persia. Greece. And so, God has given to Daniel and to Nebuchadnezzar. So, two different individuals, the same vision to confirm what world history would look like. Okay? Now, to us, this is history. Right? But what was it to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? It's prophecy. It wasn't yet there. But we see it as, as history. Now, in Daniel 2, we see that there is a fourth metal, and it is the metal that is iron. Okay? And we're told that the legs were of iron, and we're told that the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Daniel 7, we're told that this is a terrible beast. Now, I put two things up here because there are... Um, it's amazing to find how people were trying to picture these beasts. It's pretty easy when you're told that one was a lion with wings, then you're told that one was a bear risen up with three ribs in its mouth, and then you're told that there's a leopard with four wings and four heads, right? You can kind of picture This one we're not given any specific description about. What we're told is that after this I saw in the night visions a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then in the interpretation, again, I probably have the wrong verse here as well, don't I? He says, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, 
which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it into pieces. Okay? Now, the one picture, you note that these pictures are different than the other pictures I have, because I, I like the, the one pictures that I saw on one person's site, but when it came to this fourth picture, what they, what they put was they put amalgamation of the other beasts. Why couldn't that be the so? Because it's different. That's exactly right. It cannot. Now, we're going to talk about how it, that these kingdoms do have assimilation within them, okay? But the fact is, we're told that this beast is different from the other ones in the light of the way that it is, um, it is going through the world. I mean, that when it conquered, this country, when it conquered, it would just devastate. It would just pulverize as it went through. And we know this identity to be Rome. Now, how do we know this? Well, each one of these so far, each one of these kingdoms have been what? Right on the heels of the other, have been successive. And so Medo-Persia was the kingdom that wiped out Babylon. Greece was the, the empire that, great, that wiped out Medo-Persia. What was the empire that took over Greece? Rome. Now, let's talk about this because it's consistent. I mean, that's, we're taking an educated guess. We're making an extrapolation here, okay? Because does it tell us in this text that it's Rome? No. So you need to understand this, that this is, this is a conjecture at this moment, okay? This is a, an extrapolation. But I think it's a good extrapolation, okay? Because we see, first of all, um, up, in the, up in the first, that the fourth kingdom um, was legs of iron, okay? And so we see two legs, right? Now, why is two legs important for Rome? Why would that indicate Rome? What did you say, Ben? They had two armies? They, they expanded and conquered, yes. What was the two armies you were talking about, Ben? What were it, Christopher? You are the man, Christopher. <laughs> now, all you adults here, that little guy. <laughs> you, had, you had the Western Roman Empire and you had the Eastern Roman Empire. All right, Christopher, you're the man of the hour. This is your $64,000 question. I really haven't got it, so anyways, this is fake. So, where was the Western Roman Empire capitalized? Where, where was it centered? What was the capital of it? No, no, Western, the Western Roman Empire. Think West here. All right, I'll give you the easier question, which was the harder question. Um, where was the Eastern Empire? No, no, you see, you're going backwards now. It's the first one. He had them both, he just didn't understand. Okay, West, West is, is that way, you know, like California West, okay? Anyways, so the Western Roman Empire the, the, was Rome. The Eastern Roman Empire was Constantinople. Now, it wasn't that in the beginning. But Rome grew so large that they actually had two empire, two seats of empire. And that's where they got the two, two armies from. Okay? And so, that's exactly what God is picturing in this statue. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, who would have thought that way ahead of time that there would be an empire that would grow so big that they would actually divide themselves and have two different um, capitals. But God, God declared it through Nebuchadnezzar, of all people, <laughs> before it ever happened. And then we're told that this, this beast devoured. It just devoured. Rome was one of the... the now, the other 
Other kingdoms would do this, but not to the extent that Rome would do this. When Rome went into some place, they loved to tear down the forests. And they would use the forest to make siege ramps. And they would make battering rams. And they would, and they would just devastate a land. And so, um, when Rome attacked Jerusalem in, in the 60, 70 AD, I always mess up between 60 and 70. It was 70, right? I'm going to say 70. Am I right? 70 AD? Okay. Anyways, and maybe 60. I'll have to confirm that. Anyways, but when they did that, they tore down all the trees. They cut them all down and, and to make these siege ramps. The same thing when they went to, um, the, there were Jews that escaped Jerusalem and they went down to Masada. Now, for those of you who have done the, um, that the world may know videos with us, do you remember the, um, if you weren't here to do the one on Masada, that was a long time ago, but when they do the kind of the landscape kind of thing and they show everything in Israel, it's that, that, that big rock that stands out and there's a, a city that's kind of built on top of it, a little town, if you would, that's built on top, a fortress that's on top. Well, that's Masada. And so all these Jews escaped and they went to the fortress. And that was Masada. Well, the only path to get there was a snake path that, that went up there. It's a long run up there. Marsh and I have been there, so I mean, I, I, I know, you know, it's just a long path. Well, you're dead. I mean, there's no way you can get up the path to get there. So what Rome did at that time was they took Jewish slaves because they knew that these Jewish guys, these zealots, wouldn't kill Jews. And so they took Jewish slaves and had these Jewish slaves build a huge siege ramp from the ground all the way up to the top of Masada. And so they would just devastate. So there's a lot of people that conjecture all this d desert that is around Israel originally wasn't desert. And when you read about the wilderness in the Old Testament, it really was a wilderness, like you're picturing a wilderness, not a desert. And we know that when you deforest an area, what do you encourage? The desertification. That's exactly right. And so down in, in, in Egypt, in Egypt, in Africa, the, the Sahara, that's the right desert in the north of Africa, it's getting bigger. They, they've, they've shown how it's, it's getting larger every year because of the, um, the, deforest, the deforestation of the area. And so, so that's Rome. Rome was exactly this. And so we're told that this fourth beast then will come and he will take over everything else. Now, we're told that there is a fifth kingdom. Now, this fifth kingdom, we're told, is going to be made partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, this is different than all the other ones. Because all the other kingdoms, there was a clear distinction of metals. But on this one, this kingdom, it has iron involved in it. And so we see, whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron... The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. And just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as excuse me, iron does not mix with clay. And then he continues on telling them about how this vision is regarding the rulers of the last days. Okay? In Daniel 7, we read, I was considering the horns, that is, remember the, 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 the ten horns that were on that beast, because we didn't talk about it, right? I was considering the ten horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there 
In this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from the kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change the times and the laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, who on earth is this kingdom? Well, after Rome, after the Roman Empire, there was no other major empire that actually came about, came to be. The barbarians came through, the Gauls, and they destroyed the Roman Empire. And at that point, there was a splittering of the nations. There was a period where Suleiman began to, to, to extend the Muslim powers as well. There was a time when the papacy, when Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, then had their, their crusades, and they beat back the, the, um, the, the Muslims. But there was never really a time when there was really a true world empire. There were conglomerations. We have had individuals who sought to become the world empire. Most recent in our day is who? Who? Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. I mean, if Hitler wasn't stopped, you know, many people, you know, at that day thought, whoa, you know, is this, is this is happening here? You know, that, that Hitler was sought to be that, that world empire, the world dictator, like in the, in the light of all these other men. We are waiting for, in, and I believe from Gen, uh, Daniel chapter 2, that we're told that this is going to happen in the end times, that there is this, this gap that's happening right now that we're going to talk about when we get to G Revelation as well, about this mystery, the time of the Gentiles, which will be fulfilled, okay, that is still open. I believe that we're waiting for this future revived Roman Empire. Now you say, why a revived Roman Empire? Now I, I hate the title of this, because in my mind, I just like to refer to it as a future world empire. Okay? But we do know that this empire is going to have some semblances of Rome. How do we know that? The ten horns, but because of the, the iron that's mixed with the clay. Okay? And there is a reason why the iron is mixed with the clay. If it wasn't, it would just be totally what? Clay. It would just be feet of clay. But we're told that there's iron and clay being mixed together. And so this kingdom that's going to come is going to have semblances of Rome in it. Now, is it going to be, this is all the conjecture stuff that you got to think, is it going to be the, the, the power side of it, the crushing side? And that's what the iron represented. So is it going to be um, a kingdom that has some crushing power, but with the softness, the malleableness of clay? And so there's going to be this kingdom that is kind of, tries to do the blend between the, the soft side and then the crushing side. I can give you some more conjectures, but we'll leave that for, for, for another day. And, uh, because that's, that's just conjecture. But you have to think about it, and you have to meditate on it. We're told as well that when this kingdom rises, when this kingdom comes about, that it's going to be comprised of what? Ten, ten horns, ten kings, ten rulers. Or in a ruler and a king always represent their kingdom, right? So ten, a confederacy of ten nations. Okay? There are conjectures that are out there. Some people conjecture that this ten kingdom, uh, ten nation confederacy is the uh, European Commonwealth. That there are nations out there right now, and there's a lot of information to make you wonder. Um, there are actually um, stamps um, 
from the Netherlands that actually have the, a woman riding a beast on seven waters. That's from Revelation. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You wonder whether they know that. Um, there, are, there is the, the unification of the euro, of the money, that people are looking at. Um, another one that you can kind of consider with what's going to happen here is the United Nations. Does anybody know how many um, nations are, serve on the Security Council? Ten. There's ten, ten nations upon the Security Council. How many are member nations? Seven. And there are three that rotate. And um, anyways, so there's a lot of conjectures out there who these, these ten kings can be. Okay? A thousand years from now, I'll let you know. Okay? Assuming that it's, it's happened already, and, and if not, I'm there, and maybe God will help us to see a little bit more of what's going to happen. Okay? But when it happens, we'll start to know. But again, as we went into prophecy, is we're not supposed to be those who are of the darkness, but rather we're supposed to have light. Okay? And we're supposed to be sober and vigilant. And so, you know, we're supposed to consider these things. And so, when we start to see a ten, a ten, uh, conf- ten nation confederacy start to get together, right? And they're choosing one to be their ruler, we start to start to, to look at that, okay? Now, what we're told is that in the end, in this one, there is going to be one who comes out from within three of them, right? He's going to supplant three of them. And this one is going to be pompous. And as we're going to see next week, he is going to wind up being the, the picture of the Antichrist. He is going to be the one who comes, and he's going to take the place of God. And note what this Antichrist wants to do. Before... He takes on the power. It says that he shall persecute who? The saints of the Most High. Okay? Now this is important. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. When we get to the 70 weeks. Okay? Because when we get to the 70 weeks. Daniel was told that his vision of the 70 weeks. Is for your people. In your holy city. In your holy mountain. Okay? Not the saints of the Most High. Here we're we're told. That this vision is reference to the saints of the Most High. These are the ones who are part of God's covenant. I submit to you that I think that this is potentially talking about us. Not just Israel, but as well to the church. Okay? But we're told about a sixth kingdom. Did you hear it? Did you, as we went through it, as, 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 um, as Lawrence read, there was a sixth kingdom that we're told about. In Daniel 2, it says, You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff, fine chaff, which the wind drives away. From the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In Daniel 7 we read, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. In his throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words with the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. 
I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, the throne is set, the books are open, what's the picture? Is it the great white throne judgment? Yes or no? Ah, you're being indecisive here. You smell a trap. It's not the great white throne judgment. How do I know consistency of scripture? It's not the great white throne judgment. Because Christ's kingdom is being established afterwards. He's coming, one like the Son of Man is what? Coming in the clouds. And I submit to you that happens in Romans chapter 10. Romans, Revelation chapter 10. We'll see that when we get there. Okay? When Christ comes in the clouds, that's going to be for what purpose? To gather up the saints. Right? And then he will at that time be establishing his kingdom on earth. And the first thing he begins to do in that establishment of the kingdom is he begins to pour out his wrath. He begins to work in the nation of Israel for the seven years. And as part of that seven years of working in the nation of Israel, he pours out his wrath on the nations. And that's the judgment that you're reading about right there. That God will sit on his throne and he will begin to judge the nations. And when he judges the nations, then the Son of Man is going to come and he will establish his, his, his kingdom. And he will establish the kingdom for a thousand years. It's an amazing thing. And so... God has declared this ahead of time. Now, what is this? Clearly it's the kingdom of God. It's Jesus Christ coming to reign. Um, probably the millennial kingdom is being, is being talked about here. Um, as a whole, as we go through this, you can get nervous about the end times, or you can be excited about the end times. As we look at end time prophecy... In the past, I've had people go a couple different directions. They want to sell everything. We've talked about that in the past. You know, because you're all worried about, listen, for me, it's an exciting time. If I'm living in the end times, I may know that there's potential for the reviling. Remember, because what's going to happen? That, that, pompous, that pompous horn's going to do what? He's going to persecute who? The saints. Okay? We're going to see this in Matthew 24 when we get there as well. But there's going to be a period of persecution that I think that we're going to undergo. If we are literally living in the last days, I think we are. If we are, then we will go undergo a period of persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. You may consider that to be fearful. I don't consider it to be fearful. Because if it's the case, what's going to happen? Christ is coming. Do you get it? I mean, this is exciting. And even if they behead me, even if I'm not here to the time that Christ comes in the cloud and they behead me for the name of Jesus Christ, what's going to happen? I'll be resurrected and I'll be with Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what's the worst thing they can do to me? From their perspective, kill me. From my perspective, the, best, the worst thing they can do for me is the best thing they can do for me. Believest thou this? Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, yet shall he live. He liveth. He shall never die. And he that is dead shall what? 
shall live again. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you'll never die if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? <coughs> you can't kill me. That pompous horn can say what he wants. He can do what he wants. But he can't touch me. He can only do what God allows him to do. Now, some questions then, first of all. What's your view of biblical prophecy? <coughs> is it coincidental? Or is it actual? Is it going to happen as God says it's going to happen? Or the kingdoms that happened in the past, is it just coincidence? There are many people in the world today who say they're just coincidence. If you honestly believe that they're actual, then it'll change the way you act. Because Jesus Christ is what? He's coming back. He really is. And so with that in mind, in what are you investing your life? Are you investing in the kingdoms of this earth? Or the kingdom of God? Where are you laying up treasures? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Is Christ the stone that was cut without hands? Is he reigning in your life? If he's not, behold, now today is the day of salvation. And you don't have to fear what's going to come in the, in the future. Because you'll know that he is your king. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I thank you, Lord, that you have declared in your word the days that are to come. As you declare these other kingdoms to validate the truth of your message, we understand that that truth still applies to the kingdom that's still to come. We know that there is to come this kingdom that will have ten horns, from which one will arise, who will seek to make himself like you. But we know, Lord, that that kingdom is not an everlasting kingdom, but that yours is. And it already is. From the time of the creation, your kingdom has been eternal. But we know that you will physically establish a kingdom here on earth for 1,000 years. Lord, I pray that for each person that's here today, that truly the kingdom will be established in their hearts. And as you gave a new heart to Nebuchadnezzar, so you will give a new heart to those that are here today who don't have a heart for you. Lord, I pray that you would be magnified and that you would be exalted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to 36.